日本史学習に最高にもってこいのサイトサムライアーカイブスポッドキャストへようこそ美しい自然にあふれてる縄文時代から波乱万丈な幕末まで全時代を網羅して日本史の隅から隅まで一緒に語り合いましょうでは早速日本史の世界へ Welcome back again to the Samurai Archives podcast and our discussion with Nate about the Japanese Self Defense Force. As I'm sure you're well aware, every time、uh, any aspect of Japan's Self Defense Force status comes up in the news,、uh, say a, a CNN post, an article, the comment sections are, are always invariably flooded with comments about. Oh, Japan is going to, you know, oh, th- this is a threat to China. This is a threat to East Asia. East Asia should be worried. And, you know, that, that sort of. Even articles like,、uh, let's say, on Samurai Armor. Oh, talk of Bushido really makes Chinese nervous. You know, there's endless, endless comments about that. In, in your professional opinion, is, is there any、right. validity in, in that, in, in the fear that China, quote, I, I'll say that China has, but I don't think. China as a, as a country really as fears Japan now. I think it's more of a propaganda thing. But that being said, do you think there's any validity to any of that? Well, I understand, of course, the past. Yeah. And I understand let's, that. Let's, let's, let's kind of unpack that question a little bit. Because, sure, sure.、Um, there's, there's a lot of different aspects, and I, I don't want to change any of them. Yeah, and there's a lot of baggage attached to it, which, you right. know, right. if someone. Didn't understand that, then, then yeah, it would seem a little odd, I suppose. But... Right. I mean, your first mistake is, is, is reading the comments section in any CNN article. Oh, my God. I agree.、Um, <laughs> yeah. So don't ever do that. I agree. It's,、uh, it's, it's a terrible. I, you know, why comment sections are even allowed these days, I'll never understand. I, I mean,、yeah. if you want to see the failure of the internet, just look at a comment section. There you go. So, yeah. My point being, you know, that there's a lot of people talking about things that they have no idea what they're talking about. Okay. So there's that. Uh, number two is it's important to understand what is changing and why it's changing and what it actually means for things, you know? But okay, so I, I guess the best way to approach it is so if you're looking at it, you know, depending on what particular thing we're talking about the Japanese military slash government doing, you know, you have to look at everything as a case by case basis. And So, yeah, I mean, there are things that I, I, I could see as legitimately troubling to somebody who's watching、uh, Japan and watching the, you know, the, the self defense force、uh, and, and is worried that you know, there might be some sort of reaction back to you know, the way things were prior to World War II. The, the one thing that I would point to in that regard. Is the、uh, recently passed state secrecy law because it was poorly done. What they, what, my understanding of it is, is that they increased the penalties for releasing information protected by the government,、uh, what, what can be interpreted as espionage.、Um, and, and as somebody who works in the military, I don't think that that's a bad thing. The problem with it is that they don't specify. What types of information or what that information is. So, there's a lot of concern that it could be used by the government、uh, as an attempt to silence you know, dissent and silence.、Uh, you know, it, it could be used as a tool to、uh, keep the media、uh, from reporting on things that they don't want the media to report on. It's just, 
it's it's very poorly done, and it is it is troubling looking at it from a a perspective of you know a country. Uh, I mean, Japan's a country that that hypothetically has a free press and is hypothetically democratically run, and that's just the way that it's worded in the in the in the law. It it doesn't support that. It doesn't you know it. And so that's something that I could certainly see pointed to and saying, hey, uh, what's going on here? The problem is that, you know, depending on where you fall, you know, what, where your political perspectives are, you then lump that in with things like the, you know, the JGSDF or the JSDF getting new equipment or them building or, you know, restructuring in order to meet uh, you know, to to change from from their old focus of threats to newer newer focuses, and so you know, or or their their increase in activity in international peacekeeping operations. If you look at those as quote unquote military deployments, and so it's easy to kind of lump all that together and say, ah, see, Japan is uh, is becoming more uh, militaristic, and and I, I don't think people look at e- at it from either side in a in, in really the nuanced way that they should. And, and that's one of my issues, I guess, not to get into politics, but with the the current Abe administration is is that they don't do a very good job of um, finessing that sort of thing. They just kind of say, "Well, this is what we want to do," and it gets in, in trouble domestically and and internationally. Going specifically to your to your question about China, yes, there are historical grievances, and it would be better. It would possibly be better if the Japanese government uh, addressed those before they did anything, or you know, if they did that, if they addressed those in a in a in a open manner, uh, like they they haven't really done uh, for the last sixty years. That said, China, and this is just my opinion, and this is just the opinion of Nate Ledbetter, not any official anything. So. You know, nobody, nobody take it that way. But, but China's not dumb. Uh, they know that if they, you know, they see Japan doing something that they don't like, uh, that they can raise that, 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 that flag of see they're doing what they did back in 1937 or, or, or whatever, and rally public opinion against Japan. And they try to do that in order to put political pressure on Japan to get Japan to stop whatever it is that they. That they don't want to do, or they don't want the Japanese to do. I mean, China is at the same time that you know China uh, is trying to increase its own uh, security presence and 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 uh, ability to project power in Asia, uh, and in order to increase its standing in the region. Uh, and of course, you know, the more that the Japanese do things to react to that, the more the Chinese are going to see it as a threat. Not to, I mean, let's be honest. Japan's not going to invade China or anything like that. But China wants the Senkaku Islands, and so any increase in capability by the SDF might potentially be problematic for the Chinese if they try to take the Senkaku Islands by force. So they're going to raise a stink and and scream and yell and protest and so forth. Is it really because they think that the Japanese are back on the path to you know invading? Manchuria, uh, no. Uh, at least you know I don't imagine how you could draw those conclusions. But does it help the Chinese politically and emotionally to 
pull those examples from their history in order to rally their 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 own population? Of course it does. So they're going to do it. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I'm also assuming that that China's self defense budget is is even higher than Japan's. Um, I believe it is. Um, I couldn't quote you the details, but I'm I'm, I'm sure it is. Yes. Considering uh, it's the second they, largest they a, economy. Yes, they have a lot more people to deal with. <laughs> certainly. Yeah. They have a much larger military. So it's probably. I mean, let's go out on a limb and say it's. Uh, probably unlikely that Japan is going to invade China or Korea at any any time in the near future. I would consider those sound assessments, yes. Okay. You should get on those CNN boards and tell them what's what. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I do enough of I, I do enough arguing with idiots on on uh, during work time, so. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so I guess I guess then the idea of say for example preemptive strikes is just completely out the window. I you know I mean I, I guess uh, you know coming from the 21st century it, the sort of the concept of the preemptive strike seems to maybe not so much now but it it seemed to have been getting a little bit more traction just maybe in the in the common perception of maybe it's not that bad you know to, if if it looks if it looks like someone's going to do something maybe we should preemptively strike and I was just wondering if Based on you know today's politics, if if that's something Japan has ever considered, or well, maybe not considered, but if that's something that you could conceivably see happening, let's say North Korea starts threatening this or that or the other thing, or I mean, would they just rely on the U.S. or? Well, that I mean, that's something right now. Obviously, they can't. Right, right. Legally speaking, uh, that's that is something that's been debated in Japan. Uh, you know, with of course the more conservative uh, LDP trying to be. Able to do that. I I think that's a little bit more of a of a gray area that I I think at this point they should stay away from, uh, just because that has the potential to become too controversial domestically. Uh, because at what you know, where do you draw the line on that? I don't think most Japanese would 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 have any problem with you know if North Korea was fueling up a missile and they knew that it had you know you you could demonstrate proof that it was carrying uh you know nuclear biological chemical weapons something like that and that that tokyo was the target i don't think any japanese citizen on the on the street would would really have a problem with uh with the japanese doing something about it but how do you know all that you can't you know that's very hard and it's a very specific situation and so to be to say well yes we 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 allow you know first strike capability where do you how do you draw the the parameters for that. I, I think Japan's probably better off focusing on other things. And again, this is just my opinion, but they're they're better off on focusing on other things uh, because you know the U.S. really doesn't have a problem with that whole first strike thing. We're pretty we're we're pretty you know comfortable with doing that. So if if it were the case, they could I'm sure rely on us to to take care of that and stay within their legal uh, constraints. The things that I do think that they need to to work on, uh, you know, are the, the collective defense, like like we mentioned before, uh, and also, and and they are working on it. If you go to YouTube, matter of fact, on uh, March 25th, the uh, Japan Ground Self Defense Force, which is the the army equivalent, put out a video. It's a uh, on YouTube, and we'll we'll post the link. So, but it's entitled 
Creation of Tough and Resilient Japan Ground Self-Defense Force, and it was subtitled Toward Dynamic Joint Defense Force. Uh, and it's basically, it, it, it's a 15-minute video that outlines kind of their, their way ahead, their, their, their vision moving forward. Uh, and it's based off of uh, the National Defense Guidelines that were published this past December, December 2013. Um, and, and it shows a, a definite switch. You know, remember how I, I talked before, like during the Cold War, the focus was on Hokkaido and defending Hokkaido from the, uh, the Russian hordes. There's a very clear switch now to reorganizing the, the self-defense force as a uh, reaction as both defense and reaction force in case uh, anybody, and I, I won't name names, but anybody decided to uh, try to invade uh, Japan's southern islands. That's where the majority of the focus is. So, I mean, I think it's it's taken a while, but they are finally coming, uh, you know, taking very serious action uh, and, and steps to uh, deal with what they see as their most likely threats. And, of course, with uh, the Senkaku's in the news almost every month now for for something going on with uh, the, the Chinese, I mean it's very clear what the what, what what the threats are. Okay, well you know on that specific subject of of kind of their long term goals, uh, what what are the what is the long term goal? And I, I'm you know I'm almost thinking that maybe the U.S. has sort of a long term goal in mind that might not even mesh with the long-term goal of Japan, because I think on the one hand, one goal might be to sort of be more independent militarily, but on the other hand, the U.S. really has a solid foothold in East Asia, you know, militarily with with bases in Japan. So what it, what is the goal? Well, those things aren't mutually exclusive. I mean, just because we have bases in Japan doesn't mean that we don't want the Japanese to be able to take more and more of, of their own responsibility. Of course, we are also, you know, it's an ongoing uh, dialogue and relationship in terms of the, the basing in Japan. You know, there are, and I think we, t- we talked about it a little bit in the podcast we did on uh, Okinawa, but the, the, the bases in Okinawa are changing. It's still hard to know exactly how they're going to change, but we are moving the, the majority of uh, uh, the Marines out of Okinawa. And so forth. I mean, I think, and I, again, I'm I'm not speaking for U.S. policy or anything like that. Uh, just just my own personal opinion. But I, I think that a Japan that is more able to actively contribute to both regional and global security is certainly something that the U.S. welcomes. What matters is in what ways. Are they doing that? Because it's and, and that doesn't just matter to, you know, externally to the region, and how the the Japanese are perceived by other countries in the region that may get nervous. And it, and you know we talked a lot about China, but it's not just China. It's Korea. It's Southeast Asia. I mean, they want cooperation with the Japanese. At the same time, they want to make sure that you know the Japanese aren't developing capabilities that could be used against them, uh, and 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 so forth. Um, so, I mean, there's a balance there. But not only that, but domestically, you know, one of the reasons why the Abe government fell the first time, in my opinion, in 2009, uh, when the, uh, the Democratic Party of Japan uh, took over the government, uh, you know, through uh, uh, elections, was that 
Abe was so focused on, you know, pushing pushing these changes in the the self defense force and everything, and it, uh, you know, I, I don't think that the domestic the, the Japanese uh, domestic opinion was necessarily against a lot of what he did, but it was more okay. This is great, but this is not where we want you to focus. We want you to focus domestically on the economy and and other things that were going on. I think that there were good changes, but I think I has a tendency to try to push too too far too fast uh, without explaining exactly what what the changes are and and why they're important and how they don't uh, provide a threat to either outside or you know outside countries or domestic civilian control of the military. So I I don't I I think where we get into uh, problems from the U.S. perspective is where is is when we push too much for them to change things in a way that their their, their domestic population doesn't want it. For instance, one one of the best books that I've read that discusses this is uh, by Paul Midford, uh, and the title is "Rethinking Japanese Public Opinion and Security: uh, From Pacifism to Realism?" Question uh, mark. And this is by Stanford University Press, released in 2011. And he discusses it, and the case that he makes, and I agree with, is that a lot of you know the changes that that have been made, such as uh, in 2007, uh, the what at the time was the uh, the National Defense Agency was, which was the the organization in charge of you know the SDF and and, and so forth, was reorganized and given full cabinet status. As a ministry, and so it was changed from the National Defense Agency uh, to the Ministry of Defense, basically, you know, raising it to full full ministry status and, and raising, you know, every, the the profile of of the entire defense establishment in Japan. I mean, I think that was a necessary change, uh, and I think it's a good change. But you know, when you combine that with other things that that aren't necessarily uh, important. Uh, to the Japanese public, then they kind of you kind of lose voter support uh, and, and, and so on. Just to kind of for in case it's hard for people to, to to understand what what the deal is with that. If you if you take the the American context and if you said okay, um, the Department of Defense, you know we have the Secretary of Defense uh, and so so on, and that's what exercises control over all the the military and, and defense establishment. Uh, instead of being a depart the Department of Defense, it was like on the same level as the EPA, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency. That's what was go what the system that Japan had prior to 2007. So that kind of tells you how low on the totem pole the the uh, defense agency was, and so it was a big deal for it to be elevated to a full ministry. But anyway, Midford's book talks about this, and he he gives an example uh, where and when I read it, I was flabbergasted. Uh, but back in uh, 2004, 2005, when we were uh, trying to get the Japanese to deploy, when I say we, when the United States was trying to get the Japanese to send troops to Iraq, the initial plan was for the coalition to place the Japanese unit uh, not in Samoa, where it was nice and safe and uh, nothing was going on and they could just you know uh, build 
infrastructure and, and, and sewage places and, you know, tr uh, uh, do medical stuff to, to treat the local populace. No, the idea was that we were going to put them in the Sunni triangle, uh, which is, you know, where all the bombs are going off and all the fighting is going on and, and so forth. And it frustrated me to read that as a U.S. military officer who, who deals with uh, Japan and is paid to be an advisor on policy and, and so forth, because that's the absolute worst thing we could have done. Uh, if we wanted to guarantee that the Japanese public would never allow Japanese uh, participation in any form of external deployment ever again, then it would have been the right choice to put them in the Sunni Triangle and let a bunch of Japanese get shot. That was just stupid. So... Yeah, well, you know, the problem is, and this is the point that Medford's book makes, is when things get pushed too far too fast uh, in ways that aren't explained and, and make sense to the, uh, to the Japanese public. And I, I think that's where we get into trouble. Um, I recently picked up a book which I haven't actually opened yet, so I have no idea. But um, either, are, are either of you familiar with the book called Japan Rising? I have heard the title. I'm not sure why I've heard the title. I'm, I yeah. know I have, though. Um, okay. I mean, if if not, then not. But I just thought maybe if Nate happened to have read it, then you know we could hear his opinion on it or something. But I have not read it. I have seen mm -hmm. it, um, and it is on my list. Kenneth Pyle's usually pretty good. Yeah. I feel like I've read other things by him. I mean, I, don't, I feel like I know the name, but I can't seem to quite remember what, what I know him from. Yeah, I've read other things. I think he wrote or was a major contributor to the making of Northeast Asia, which is another book I read of her. Yeah, he also wrote uh, the making of modern Japan. Yeah, uh, that's where I know him from. Okay. Well, in any case, I guess if we haven't read it, then we can just whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I have so many books that I'm obviously like, who knows when I'm ever going to have time to read them, but. I, I, I think our okay. listeners, hopefully our listeners will find that all very informative and enlightening. And uh, So, uh, well, with all that being said, uh, any, any closing thoughts on the JSDF? Are you uh, optimistic for the future? Are they headed in the right direction? Um, well, I like to think so, being as I you know, work with them very closely and, and uh, I, I have a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of good friends. Uh, and a lot of uh, you know, great people that I've worked with in, in, in the SDF. And I have a lot of respect for them. They, you know, everybody that I've worked with has been uh, you know great and professional. And and they they it, 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 I can imagine it being very frustrating for them. You know because they they join the 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 military. They join the SDF for the same reasons that uh, that you know soldiers do all over the world. And it's to um, you know, to serve in their country and to you know feel that they're they're doing something to protect their whether it's their loved ones or their the country at large or, or, or whatever and uh, you know there's a lot of of feeling that that they don't get to do a lot of things that they feel they should be doing and of course I, that that doesn't mean to say that I, that they want to go and fight in wars and, and stuff like that but. They do want to be able to go out and do more, you know, more things that they're restricted from now because they want to be seen as equals with the U.S. military and, 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 and so forth. You know, I don't think they'll get to the point 
where they're they're going in and, and doing you know kicking down doors and uh, shooting Osama the Osama bin Ladens of the world. But you know they do want to they want they they want to feel that they're helping you know and, and so forth. And and um, I, I think there'll there'll be changes uh, here in the the future that'll help them get to that point, but hopefully in a gradual and slow enough way that um, everybody. Um, with the exception of those who are going to be politically opposed to it, no matter how it happens, but that the majority of people can see that it's being done in a in a rational and uh, in, in a manner that's appropriate. I, I think the probably the big change that's probably going to happen in the next few years is is a name change. Uh, I think they will. Uh, the, I mean, this is the the ongoing debate right now. You know, the big one is, is should they change the name? Should it be uh, go from the uh, Giatai to the Kokobogu, uh, which when you change it, it, it actually it, – the English translation, it doesn't change a whole lot. But in Japanese, it changes quite significantly. It goes from being the Tai, which is uh, kind of a generic term for unit or force. For, so GA, self-defense Tai force to Kokubogun, which would be like national defense military. So the defense part would still be in the name, but it would be definitely a military in the sense of, you know, the name would change and they, they would be able to, you know, translate it as an army or, or whatever. So um, I, I think that's a significant, if only symbolic change. Uh, and I think that's probably going to come in the next couple of years, at least from my impression of the uh, the, the sentiment uh, amongst the Japanese public. But you know, that's gonna that kind of thing's contingent on what else happens in the world and what else happens in Japan and how Japanese politics go. If uh, the LDP screws things up again domestically and gets booted out again, and then then that may you know not not happen right away. Who knows? And uh, when CNN breaks the story, just watch the uh, comment section and remember this podcast. Or, or <laughs> save your sanity and don't ever go to the comment section. Yeah, it's terrible. Spend it's your time terrible, commenting terrible at, at, at Samurai Archives instead. Yeah, SamuraiPodcast.com. Do it. Yeah. All right, so that's it for this, uh, this episode. And uh, I think it went pretty well. It was an interesting topic. So thank you, Nate. Yep, you're welcome. And of course, you know... If, if, if people have questions um, about this, I mean, this is kind of outside our normal uh, subject area, but if people want uh, us to look at, you know, modern stuff as well, or, uh, whether it's this or whether it's other stuff, you know, send it in. And uh, if we can do it, then, uh, then, then we will. Yeah. And that's it for our discussion on the modern-day Japanese self-defense force and the history leading up to it, et cetera, et cetera. Be sure to check SamuraiPodcast.com for all of our back episodes. You'll find all of our back episodes archived there all the way back to the very beginning. And also, if you'd like to help us out, please use our Amazon link, which you'll find on SamuraiPodcast.com. Podcast doesn't come cheap, so hey, every little bit that you can do for us really helps out. I appreciate it. And if you don't shop on Amazon, although I think everyone does, you can also shop at our Samurai Archives t-shirt shop, where you'll find more than just t-shirts, you'll also find coffee cups and mouse pads and all that stuff. So there's various ways that you can help support the podcast, and it's really appreciated, especially by my bank account. All right, that's it for this episode, so stay tuned next time. Thank you.